Well, you know, it's amazing how the pandemic changed the supplier buyer uh, hospital landscape. You know, prior to COVID, most health systems may have had some strategic partnership relationships with their prime med surge or prime pharmacy distributors, but that was pretty much the extent of it. All of a sudden, everybody, when COVID hit, was scrambling to try and find every supply under the sun because the supply chain just, frankly, shut down because of all of those terrible reasons. And what were once considered pretty much arm's length Uh, relationships and often adversarial relationships, those converted into new strategic partnerships. Welcome to A&M's Healthcare Supply Chain Podcast, No Time to Waste. This is the second in our series. My name is Tim Berkey, a Managing Director in Alvarez and Marcel's Healthcare Industry Group and leader of the Hospitals and Health Systems Supply Chain Practice. In this series, we will continue to hear from frontline leaders about the practical solutions they're employing to address real problems and concerns in supply chain. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by a former work colleague, Doug Johnson, who is System Vice President of Supply Chain at Alameda Health System in Alameda, California. He has extensive experience in executive supply chain leadership, years of consulting experience leading clinical and purchase services teams, where we've had a lot of discussion, and he's helped healthcare systems reduce costs and certainly increase efficiencies. Prior to the role he's in now, Doug served as director in Premier Inc.'s advisory services group, again, where we were peers. He also formerly worked for Navigant and Huron Consulting Companies, and he was a regional director of supply chain operations for 10 years at Catholic Health Initiatives, now known as Common Spirit. Looking forward to having a great conversation with you today, Doug. Well, thank you, Tim. I'm excited and thrilled to be part of this uh, series. We're happy to have you. So thanks for joining us to share your insights. Before we dive very deep, can you just kind of set the table for our audience and briefly describe the supply chain operation at Alameda Health, just to give our listeners a sense of the size and scale and anything else you would want them to know about that operation that you lead? Oh, absolutely. So Alameda Health System is an integrated safety net health system. We have about 600 total acute beds. Uh, It is the only level one adult trauma center on the San Francisco East Bay, which encompasses uh, Oakland, Alameda, San Leandro, Berkeley, and points north, south, and, and east. We also are a teaching facility, and we're affiliated with University of California, San Francisco's uh, School of Medicine. And while historically supply chain has been really focused on medical supplies, we are expanding it to encompass almost every aspect of non-payroll spend. Wow, that's that's impressive. Um, Certainly a, a comprehensive and sophisticated operation. So thanks for that. Let's begin with some strategic topics. So uh, I certainly have heard, and, and, and I, I know you've probably heard for several years now, that this topic of strategic vendor partnerships, you know, should be exploited uh, to achieve, you know, significant improvements in cost and operations, leaning into strategic partners, we might say. So as, as we reflect on, you know, coming out of the pandemic, would you say that the pandemic itself has Uh, expedited or enhanced the need for those strategic partnerships? Has it slowed them down or has the pandemic itself not so much had an impact on the need to have those? Well, you know, it's amazing how the pandemic changed the supplier buyer uh, hospital landscape. 
you know, prior to COVID, most health systems may have had some strategic partnership relationships with their prime med surge or prime pharmacy distributors, but that was pretty much the extent of it. All of a sudden, everybody, when COVID hit, was scrambling to try and find every supply under the sun because the supply chain just, frankly, shut down because of all of those terrible reasons. And what were once considered pretty much arm's length uh, relationships and often adversarial relationships, those converted into new strategic partnerships. At Alameda Health Systems, it resulted in an incredibly strong new relationship with our laundry and linen supplier, as well as several others. You know, it's, it occurs to me, we could do a whole podcast series, six or seven episodes just on strategic partnerships. And I know the words you just use will resonate with people and their experiences. Um, you know, for our listeners' benefit, and, and certainly without requesting anything confidential that you can't share in terms of that partnership, is there anything you can generally describe about that laundry and linen relationship to help our listeners understand, you know, what's occurring? Well, absolutely. You know, health systems use a ton, I mean, literally tons of linens. And the relationship with the laundry can get a little bit testy, especially if there's a real or even a perceived need or lack of product. At AHS, uh, we did an RFP just before COVID hit. And then suddenly there was this mad scramble to keep up with the demand. Every bed in our facilities was full and most of them had to be changed more than once a day. And so you can imagine uh, we are one of many hospitals in the area and served by these laundry facilities. You can just see the scramble to try and get product in the door. So the laundry company helped us by providing a software solution and handheld devices that really allowed us to track linen utilization down to the item, the specific piece level just like we would track any other supply going in and out of our hospitals. So we were able to set PAR levels. Uh, we were able to build in an additional emergency uh, extra linen uh, supply stock to cover things that um, when obviously it was just intensely uh, busy, <laughs> you, can, you can get that. So they were, they're on site several times a week. They were providing lots of education to our nursing and clinical staffs. Uh, on utilization policies and, and a lot of procedures to help prevent waste. Now, I don't know of many other companies that would come in and work with you to get you to buy less or use less and because most of them want to sell you more. And in this case, our strategic relationship with our laundry and linen provider has helped us overall since the pandemic ended uh, reduce our linen consumption by about 20% pre-COVID. So that's that's a really amazing story. Yeah, 20 percent. That's uh, certainly above and beyond, as we know, in the laundry and linen space. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. So labor shortages, they've continued to persist for many organizations, not all in the post-pandemic world. And unlike contracted nursing agency staff, you know, replacing many full-time staff that you know have not opted to return to the workforce over COVID, it really kind of occurs to me that the number of supply chain contract agencies pales in comparison. I mean, you can get interim supply chain help, but we don't think of that in the same way as nursing contract labor. Uh, additionally, we know that some inventory management or distribution staff 
in select organizations have moved outside of healthcare. They went to work for companies such as big box firms like Amazon or UPS, typically in a distribution or inventory mode. Uh, and so with those challenges, would you say that there's a general solution to how hospitals can compete for supply chain labor? Or if they can't, what strategies do you suggest to accomplish even more with less, as they say? Well, we've been exceptionally fortunate in, in that regard, Tim. The Our supply chain staffing has been very, very stable. And in fact, we get a lot of people coming to us. I think it's because we're this safety net health system and there's this um, sense of feeling that they want to contribute to the well-being of not only of our patients, but the community as a whole. So, but the real issue has been temporary nursing. Uh, the travel nurses have just um, eaten into our budgets uh, incredibly tough. But as for strategies to do more with less, we've been revamping our entire supply chain organization and really trying to build in processes that require less time and effort. And that will enable us to take on some additional support functions. So can you give us a good example, Doug, of, of a revamp process that you have developed or used to save that material time? And, and if so, what's being done differently now? Well, we're completely replacing all of the shelving in our nursing clean utility rooms. Um, what you typically see is you walk in and there's a, a shelf and it's crammed full of stuff. It might be in, in bins or boxes. But you've got to pretty much look at every item to determine whether or not it needs to be replenished uh, on our daily uh, reorder cycles. And we're replacing all of that with a Kanban system. Basically, it's a bin with a partition. and We have inventory in the front and the back half of that bin. When the front's empty, we lift the partition, we scoot everything forward. And then instead of going through and guessing whether or not something needed to be reordered or get brought back up to the par level, we just simply look for the empty bins. If the bin's empty, we know it needs to be replenished. And what that is doing for us, it's taking the time to go through one of these nursing stations from about 20 to 30 minutes. And we're, we're projecting we can do it in, in five to seven minutes. That frees up just an amazing amount of resource time. And it gives us the ability then to provide services to some of the other areas in our facilities that are, I would say, are being underserved. We don't necessarily hit every department every day. Uh, sometimes it's only two or three days a week, and that creates the opportunities for stockouts and then uh, significant nursing dissatisfaction. Fantastic. That, that's a great answer. So let me ask a different question, and this is one that's come up and we've heard so much about um, pandemic and post-pandemic. This phrase, organizations need more supply chain resiliency. What does that mean to you, and how have you implemented strategies to make Alameda's supply chain even more resilient, recognizing that you're doing that with a team, not just you? Well, you know, historically, the focus has been on materials management side here at, at Alameda. Uh, we buy stuff, we receive stuff, we move stuff around, we try and manage the inventories of stuff. And, and it's just really all about moving the stuff and getting it to the end users. And what happens when you focus on, on just the product, on, on just the stuff, you really miss out on opportunities to add value, like getting in front of the capital equipment uh, acquisition process. 
for developing processes to manage standardization of products and services across your health system. We're in the beginning stages of launching our supply chain strategic plan, and that really is going to add six or seven new resources to help capitalize on these opportunities to take advantage of areas that we are not doing now, but will be able to do in the future. It'll make us more nimble, and it really will add considerable value, uh, both in the short and the long term. Right. Um, Technology, again, shifting gears, uh, supply chain technologies and, and looking at ways to become even more efficient. That's not news to our audience that those things need to be exploited when they can. Uh, but at the same time, we have this interesting dynamic where the cost of capital is greater. It's gone up. And so it's harder for many organizations to make those investments. Days cash on hand may be less. I'm interested if if you have a perspective on those technology solutions that, that really need to be in a supply chain strategic plan or those that are perhaps nice to haves, if not have to haves. Oh, absolutely. You know, I believe that size uh, uh, plays a huge role uh, in technology utilization. For example, a critical access hospital can, and quite frankly, I've seen them do it, get by with a basic system and maybe just using an Excel spreadsheet to manage their inventory. But when you get into a health system that's got two, three, or four more hospitals uh, and providing other services, you need an integrated and robust uh, ERP system. At a minimum, on the logistics side, you need to automate the stocking and replenishment process as much as you possibly can. And that includes using handheld devices and RFID or even Bluetooth tracking systems for equipments, beds, some of your more expensive supplies that have a tendency to uh, grow legs and walk out the door. Uh, on the purchasing side, everything needs to be electronic. The POs, invoices, payments, RFP, spend analytics, it all has to be automated. And, and the better the system you have to manage that data, uh, really the better your results are going to be. And, you know, most large ERP systems already have those capabilities built in. But what I find, and, and sadly, is that a lot of organizations haven't turned all of those capabilities on. And the first order of business then is for those companies, those departments, is to truly understand what their systems capabilities are, and then determine if you're using them or taking advantage of them. And if not, you better figure out a way to do it. It's, it's a lot easier to add and upgrade a system than it is to go out and replace a system. I know, I've, I've been there, done that, and it's, um, it's, it's a lot easier just to turn on a function that you just suddenly discovered you had. So we've talked about some real supply chain and, and broader healthcare market challenges for certain, and in many ways, those are very sobering. And at the same time, it's not all gloom and doom, right? And I know you're a wildly optimistic person. I've always known that about you. Many organizations are finding creative ways to address long-standing problems, including yours and some of the things you've described. But at, at more of a specific level, what makes you most hopeful about supply chain across healthcare looking into the future? I personally see that there is more progressive leadership at the executive level. Uh, individuals who really understand the supply chain is more than just buying and, and moving products. It's really a treasure box full of opportunities to reduce cost and add value to the health system and the health of the patients and the communities that they serve. 
You know, the truth is in this business, because of our commitments, we're in this business because of our commitments to the patients and what we do to serve. And the better we do that and the better our leadership embraces that, the stronger both healthcare and healthcare supply chain uh, becomes. I love the way that you brought that back again to the patients. I mean, supply chain, as we know, is not just moving boxes. Ultimately, it's about serving patients in the organization, how supply chain supports a myriad of customers. Great answer. So let's bring us to the close. Um, Thanks, Doug, so much for joining our audience today. You've got great insights, and we've just scratched the surface on the things we could have discussed. Um, Thinking about what you've said, it, it reminds me that supply chain management is still a people business, right? It's not just products and services, it's the people uh, providing the service and supporting customers. People work hard every day. They're delivering the right products and services at the right time, in the right place, and at the right price, uh, to use that cliche, but it's true. People have great passion about the work they do, ideally. I think most do. And and also, many people have passions outside of work. So that's my intentional segue, because I know you well, and I know that you're a big photography buff. So we're going to uh, switch gears here for our audience and, and maybe allow you to give us just a, a few minutes on that hobby of yours, because I think a lot of people would be fascinated by how you would describe that. Well, thank you, Tim. I, I started my photography journey when I was 10 years old at a 4-H camp, and I was learning how to develop film and uh, make uh, prints uh, <laughs> in a dark room. Um, since then, I've expanded greatly. I've, um, I'm an award-winning photographer, a photo artist. I've had my work in galleries uh, in different parts of the country. And it's, it's, a, it's a passion that, that really has a very technical side but it also has an incredibly creative side. And and I use it to help balance my brain because, you know, in supply chain, we deal with a lot of analytics and and having a creative outlet really helps balance my life and, and balance the work. And then when I go to work, I can see it from maybe a different perspective than than I would have if I didn't have that outlet. So uh, it's something I do, I'm passionate about. And um, I was just up at Yosemite uh, National Park the last couple of weeks and um, spent three days with my camera. Wow. Well, we hear so much about the phrase work-life balance. I think you just embodied that with the way you you captured uh, the description of your work and life. So thank you for that again. Uh, for our audience, as we close today, I'd like to remind our listeners to look for future podcasts in this series. I'm going to continue to engage frontline supply chain leaders such as Doug, and I'm going to ask them the questions that are of most interest to you. You can download these podcasts at Spotify, Apple, or wherever you obtain your podcast. Until next time.